Welcome to the milk bar. 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 Welcome along to episode 518 of the Milk Bar. Jason Forrest here with you this week. We'll be having a chat with Robert Llewellyn and Dan Caesar. Uh, they are from Fully Charged. They have their fantastic live show on the way at Silverstone on the 7th, 8th and 9th of June. So we'll be finding out about that and how electric cars are the way forward. We'll be having a natter with the team from the well in Wolverhampton, the city's food bank. Dr Hilary Jones talks to us about some research surrounding making sure our garden furniture is mold free we don't be breathing that in when we're out and about in the garden and whilst we're in the garden we'll be having a barbecue Genevieve Taylor is going to tell us about a brand new cookbook chart, finding out about that one. We'll be finding out about Mayflower 400, celebrating the arrival of the Mayflower in the US. And also, The People's Beatles is a brand new book compiled by Barry Miles. We'll be having an hour with him. But first of all... The Wedding Singer is being brought to the stage of the Prince of Wales Theatre in Cannock by the Backstreet Theatre Company from the 26th through to the 28th of September. To tell us more, I have six of the principal cast here with me. Hello, gang. Hey. Right, OK, let's introductions please we'll start at this end tell me who you are and who you're playing please uh, my name's Di and I'm playing Rosie which is uh, Robbie's grandma I'm Louise and I'm playing Holly and she's Julia's cousin I'm Faye I'm playing Julia Sullivan and I am Robbie's love interest there we go next I'm Matt I'm playing Sammy and he is the bass player and Robbie's best mate I'm Dave and I'm playing George who's the keyboard player of the band uh, of Robbie's band and I'm Brett and I'm playing Robbie Hart so it's a, a, a great cast. I know that already because uh, we I've heard fab things about all of you, and that's just from the, the rest of the team behind the show. So that's all looking good. Uh, so uh, we, we're in the eighties, and that's that's a good yep. good place to be, isn't it? Because those of us who remember the eighties absolutely loved it. So that's good. And uh, so with with Robbie's role, I mean the story does centre about around you, Brett. So you yeah. Yeah, that's that's probably good for your ego to begin with. So tell us a, uh, a bit a bit more about uh, <laughs> about how you bring this role to life. Well, it's quite iconic from the 90s film with Adam Sandler, so I have a good reference point to go back to if I need to pick up any sort of tips in terms of the character. But he's a a fun part to play, lovable, bit of an idiot. So, I don't have to act too much. <laughs> <laughs> no acting required, really. But, but, but your mates get to join you with being idiots too, don't yes, we? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Like we do. <laughs> it's a really good three. Like The, the three yeah. characters work really well together and everyone's like really different. So, yeah. It's, yeah. It, it gels it, really well. Each one has like different personalities. Yeah, For example, Sammy's like a bit of a ladies' man. Robbie's just like the boy next door. And I'm just the flamboyant one. Really? Like boy, George. Yeah. Watch, yeah. yeah. So, are you looking forward to the week for that, then? Um, it should be interesting. <laughs> I mean, it would be nice to have hair. Yeah, so. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. Yes, yeah. so, uh, that, that's good. Uh, the weeks don't really suit me, but you're looking yeah. forward to it. Yes, yeah, it should be really good. Mm-hmm. And the girls. So uh, let's let's start with grandmother, because I mean, I, I, you get some fun bits in the show, don't you? That you I think you possibly get some of the better lines. She's pretty outrageous, actually. She, she asks some very uh, uh, not very good, well, questions that she shouldn't really be asking of her grandson, to be perfectly honest. Uh, but yeah, it's it's really fun to play. Yeah, it's, it's a good part. And is there any bits that really take you back to the eighties? Because you're just about old enough to remember um well we haven't actually rehearsed it yet but there is a bit where grandma actually gets to rap mm-hmm. 
which is uh, uh-huh. which is quite fun, yeah. And so that that definitely um, that's definitely fun to do. You're looking forward to that, yeah. You want to be a beastie boy in the spare time. <laughs> I'm not sure about that. Right, okay. <laughs> and and the girls, obviously, you both go through some interesting uh, roller coasters in, in this, don't you? Because well, Robbie has his moments, but it's it's all at the expense of the women, I think. To be fair, yeah. I think I mean to start with, you're with somebody else, aren't you? So yeah, I kind of I'm playing the sort of um, party girl, kind of good time girl, a bit of a wild child, Madonna type. Mm-hmm. character and she uh, she has a bit of a she develops a bit of a, a soft spot for Robbie mm-hmm. and perhaps any other guy that comes don't we all because <laughs> um, I think she's a bit you know, a character so uh, yeah and then obviously yeah we've got um, a really good relationship throughout yeah. it as well haven't we it's nice to be able to play a bit of a we've we've got quite a few comedy lines as well yeah. haven't we it's good yeah but I mean this is funny throughout and everybody gets uh, a, a good gag which I think really helps in any show doesn't it there's yeah. no character yeah, that hasn't so got good. to deliver something funny yeah, yeah. Brilliant. And do you think that there's uh, any songs in there that really stand out for you to that really help tell the story? I mean, do you get some good stuff to sing along to? Have you got a favourite? Um, one of my favourites is your, uh, like yours, and um, the duet between Julia and uh, Robbie. I don't know what my favourite is really. I like Saturday Night, but there is quite a belting note in there, which I'm a bit worried about. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit wary, but <laughs> it, it'll be fine yeah. on the night, I'm sure. Yeah, there's so many like big group numbers, isn't there? That really they're going to get the crowd going. I think. Yeah, yeah. it's just yes. the singing and dancing. It's like out, you get out of breath, don't you? So yeah, oh, you'll be great. singing and dancing all at the same time. Not looking forward to that. <laughs> but by the time we get to the show, you'll have all this home to absolute perfection. Yeah. And as, uh, for the uh, the music for the boys, then I mean, what what stands out uh, musically for for you guys? Oh, it's just an incredibly hard sing. Um, <laughs> I think I really like Robbie's breakdown moment after uh, his his sort of stood up at the altar by his fiance. Mm-hmm. Uh, he has a massive meltdown, which is really comical if I do it right. <laughs> uh, and there's a couple of really good songs that follow that said breakdown. But then there's some really nice songs, as Louis said. Um, if I told you in the second half, which is uh, sort of a, a duet with mm-hmm. uh, Robbie and Julia. And obviously there's the iconic number from the film as well, that's at the end, Crying All With You, which is also really nice. But there's some really cool stuff with the gents as well. Yeah, again, you're getting some good stuff. You you may not have rehearsed all of it yet, but uh, what do you think of uh, your musical setup? We had one last week that we started doing for the first time, which is Today You Are With Man, which is all the three boys together. I think the scene is like a a Jewish wedding sort of thing. (laughs) There's a murderous dance scene in it, and (laughs) we have to sing at the same time, but it's good that we're all... it's, It's a funny track, and we're all there together, so it's... I like the ones when everyone's when everyone's on stage together. The ensemble, yeah. confidence in numbers. Well, yeah, but it's, it's so, just yeah. fun. It's, like when everyone's together as well. It's it's a bar mitzvah. It's nice you've read the script though. It's, it's getting the idea. <laughs> yeah. He'll be fine in a few weeks' time. He's just got to sit there and, and, and do his best to look pretty as Robbie, hasn't yeah. he? So that's going to take a while as well. Okay, see yeah. how that works out. <laughs> so it is on stage at the Prince of Wales. It is on the. It's their friends, really. really. It is the twenty sixth to the twenty eighth of September. Uh, you can get your tickets from Positive Tickets and uh, the box office at the Prince of Wales so go along grab your tickets and have a fantastic time you guys break a leg do a brilliant uh, time on stage and we're very much looking forward to the wedding singer by Backstreet Theatre thank you thank you time to say some brand new music now here on the Milk Bar this is next year remember me
Remember Me, the new single from next year. With hopefully some great weather over the bank holiday weekend, we've not only got things like sunburn and hay fever to worry about, because there's a chance of some dangerous bacteria living around your garden. To tell us more, we're joined now by Dr Hilary Jones. Hello, sir. Hello, Jason. How are you? I'm very well, and I think we all want to keep everyone remaining well, so I trust we find you well and free of bacteria at the moment. Uh, yeah. I mean, a lot of people will be uh, dusting down their garden furniture. It's been outside since last year, and uh, it's been harbouring a few germs, moulds and spores since then. Uh, a recent uh, survey commissioned by Jays found that 41% of people do leave their garden furniture outside all year round, and more than a third never consider how clean or dirty it is before using it when it comes to the barbecue season, which is up next week, National Barbecue Week. Um and I think what people don't realise is that an average garden table can harbour the same number of germs as a bin lid and has 4,500 times more harmful bacteria than you would find on a bin lid. So it's worth thinking about giving your garden furniture a really good clean at the beginning of the barbecue season and, uh, yeah, ideally giving it a, a clean before and after each use. Yeah, because when you're looking at 40% of people were having the chance of ingesting mould and with spores and even things like uh, you know, the secretions of flying uh, creatures as they come past, who knows what you could end up yeah. eating if you don't clean these things down? Well, well, that's absolutely right. I mean, a lot of things you can see, um, just like you can see uh, what what the birds have left on your on your car windscreen. Mm-hmm. Um, you can see that on your, your garden table. But there's lots of things you can't see, lots of invisible um, bacterial growth. One, one bacteria can reproduce itself in perfect conditions within 10 hours to produce a colony of a billion bacteria. And you can't see these things. But you put your food on the table, you put bread on the table, you eat the bread. Um, you can ingest molds and spores, which can give you tummy upsets. You can get respiratory problems if you inhale the spores. So it, it really is important to make sure that the garden table is clean and any, any furniture is washed down at the end of the, the winter and, and cleaned on a regular basis, not just with soap and water, which those people who do clean their garden furniture use soapy water, about two-fifths of them do. But it, it, it's much better to use a multi-purpose disinfectant, which does the job and kills almost all of those bugs. Yeah, my mother swears by Jay. She's got a five-litre container of this stuff uh, that she's using around the, the, the home and the garden. And uh, yeah, she's even said, she was, she was slightly worried, that when she got it on the garden, it may stop the plants growing as well. But well, they seemed quite happy with it because they've got a bacterial-free environment too. So uh, yeah, yeah, sure. It's, uh, yeah, no- you know, it, that's, it's good stuff. I mean, it's been, cre- it's been designed and created for that specific purpose. Um, uh, and you know, soaps soaps good for, for for washing certain dirt off and grease, but it's not so good at killing bacteria. You really need something that disinfects um, and does the job well. So obviously, if we do end up picking up a bug from this, it could be we were mistaken an undercooked sausage for the actual problems yeah. uh, which are causing it. Obviously, make sure your food's cooked through properly. Don't burn yeah. it. But equally, make sure you're not picking up things which could cause respiratory issues or vomiting. Absolutely. I mean, we, it's, it's easy to blame the cook, the chef at the barbecue. You know, the guy's there with his apron on, you know, taking pride in his perfectly <laughs> cooked sausages and chicken. Uh, and uh, if someone gets ill, they, they tend to blame the food. But actually, it might not be the way the food's cooked. It may be what touched the food after it's been cooked, um, uh, if it's been placed on a, on, a, on, a, on a surface that isn't so clean. Um, so bear that in mind. I mean, there are, there are all sorts of things that... For example, bird droppings um, will will be a perfect environment for for moulds and spores to grow in, and and those spores can dry out and they can be inhaled. And we do see people getting uh, pneumonias like psittacosis, which can uh, can come from pigeon droppings and also sparrows and starlings as well. 
So really, put a mask on, get the rubber gloves on, get the jays out, clean everything down, and you know you're ready for the barbecue season, particularly barbecue week next week. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't take long. It's worth doing, and, and uh, ideally you'd do that before and after each uh, each meal that you'd have outside, and, and you can do that with the trigger sprays that you can buy. As, you, as your mother said, you know, um, there, there's some good stuff out there which you can use which does the trick. Well, you know, keep up uh, yeah, the, the, the hygiene around the home and outside. Make sure you're not getting tummy bugs. Any other tips as we head in towards the summer? Um, there's, there's plenty of things to, uh, to to watch in the garden. I mean, it's a healthy place to be. Get some fresh air. Get away from the the device, the, your, your electronic devices. Get away from the the TV. Uh, get outside. Enjoy some fresh air. Get some exercise. Uh, and if you want more information on this particular subject, a good site to go to is jaysfluid.co.uk. So jaysfluid.co.uk. Pop along there. Check out what's going on, and you can find out more about the survey and keeping healthy outdoors. But for now, Dr. Hilary Jones, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Jason. Take care. Music time once more. Velvet Crush is the song. Primal Static are the band.
Carol Static with Velvet Crush here on the Milk Bar. The Well, the home of Wolverhampton's food bank service, has just had its busiest year ever. To tell us more, I'm joined now by Caroline Price. Hello. Good afternoon. So uh, tell us about what's going on down there, because uh, the 12 months 2018 through to 2019, 9,500 people were fed by the food service. It was just under 9,500 were fed, um, and that's our highest year ever in terms of numbers of people um, we're feeding. What sort of services do you offer? How does it actually work down there, and what is being provided? Okay, so we provide emergency uh, food parcels and toiletries, nappies and baby items for people who are in crisis. Um, We uh, deliver parcels to where people live, so we aim to provide three days of food for people. Uh, So that's three breakfasts, three lunches, three main meals. And um, we work with referral agencies all across the city, so people don't come to us direct. Uh, we get referrals from places like Wolverhampton Homes, Citizens Advice, all the different departments in the council and many other organisations because um, then they assess the need for the food and uh, and then we deliver to people in the units to cover a crisis. So you know that the people receiving these parcels are eligible. So this is an even more worrying figure because they've been through agencies before they've got to you. Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. It, it is a, a real concern that um, that so many more people are in need of this kind of emergency crisis help and we have seen a difference particularly we've been running for nearly 13 years this June mm-hmm. and um, we have seen particularly in the last two or three years a difference whereas perhaps uh, in the, the earlier years when we would deliver the parcels people would get to the door and people might have one or two days food um, or a couple of meals um, Quite regularly now, our drivers are saying when they get to the door that the family are literally waiting for the parcel to arrive to provide them with their next meal. And that's including children running out of the, the flat or the house um, to collect the food. And that's that's really concerning. Now, in this time, you say the 13 years that come June next year that uh, you've been working on this, so yourself and uh, your husband, Gary, and leading this project, it must be a bit heart-wrenching seeing some of the things that go on, but quite heartwarming in itself, knowing the amount of support that you've seen from across the community in Wolverhampton to provide these parcels. Yeah, it's extraordinary. Um, I mean, we we really are just the face of it, but we have um, an enormous team of volunteers. Um, it's uh, other than my husband getting paid, everybody else um, who supports the well is a volunteer. Um, we have at least 60 people um, volunteering in different ways, doing different jobs at different times. Um, the community, I, it's, it's just astounding how generous uh, the people of Wolverhampton are, whether it's individuals, uh, churches, schools, businesses, um, community groups, all sorts of organisations donate food to us, donate money monthly, do one-off fundraising things, donate money for pallets of food, um, and and it really underpins the service. And for a single person, your food parcel contains retail of equivalent to about £20 worth of food. And for a whole family, you look at about £50 worth. And obviously, yes, you're, you're, buying, you're buying in bulk, so hopefully you can keep some of those costs down and things have been donated. But this isn't a cheap service to run when you're looking at 9,500 parcels a year. Yes, absolutely. And, and But yeah, it, it, isn't, it isn't a cheap service, but because it's very much run on the generosity of people to give... 
you know, it makes all the difference, really. Um, we're also, we're a Christian charity. We pray an awful lot. So we see constant miracles in all that we do. And um, even this morning, we're in need of cereals and somebody's come in and brought some cereals. So we've got cereals to give out for today. So those kind of things happen all the time. But people are enormously generous and, and we're so grateful. Any of your listeners who've ever given to us uh, over the airways, I'd just like to say thank you to them because every tin and every packet is precious and makes, uh, makes such a difference to people who literally have nothing to eat. And you are putting smiles on people's faces as well as food into their bodies. And so this is sustenance. That's all it is. It isn't anything more than that. You are keeping them going with a balanced diet. It is very, very much so. It is to cover a crisis. So, and we're not a, we're not a dependency service. So, we we limit the parcels we give in the sense we try and say five in a six month period because um, really we want people to be working with the referral agencies to get signposted to get the support they need so that they don't need to have food parcels long term because that's not good for anybody. But we are flexible in that. We have to be because um, of the needs altering all the time. And with your 500 Club, uh, you're attracting people to, who are prepared to donate £10 a month to help underpin this expanding service. And that is something which is, as I say, it's vitally important work and vitally important funding to allow you to have the basis to know day in, day out, week in, week out, you've got the cash there to provide what's needed. Yeah, yeah. We, decided, we launched this just before Christmas, the 500 Club, and it was really in... Just in response to people saying they wanted to know how they could support us. Um, and so we thought, well, we'll put something in place to make it really easy for people. So that's what we're doing. We're looking for 500 people, um, um, each who might be still able to uh, commit to give £10 a month to the well. Um, some people can't do that. So we've had someone just sign it for £3 a month, which is it's still as precious. Um, but if we have 500 people doing £10 a month, then that increases our monthly um, income by five thousand pounds that makes an enormous difference to our planning we run to warehouses we run to vans to deliver the parcels and all the infrastructure that that comes with a growing project really and because of the need is rising we're going to need to buy more pallets um we, we need to you know we're looking to get another van all sorts of things so if people want to get involved they can find out more on our website www.thewell.co.uk we're on facebook twitter and instagram if people want to connect through social media um and yeah just find out more about what we do yeah, so the wellwolverhampton.co.uk, go along, look at the website, see the work you're doing there, but know that everybody who is receiving this has been uh, assessed and is in desperate need. It isn't, yeah. as sometimes it, the, the perception on food banks isn't always that positive because if somebody rocks up, with the best one in the world, you're not going to turn someone away who could be hungry. But in this case, mm. it is delivered to homes and you know that those people are desperate for this food. So you, you have to be there to help them. Yes, yeah, we do. And I'd also say, if anybody's listening on the radio and they are in desperate need of food, then go to our website and, and you'll be able to find out there how you can get in contact with the referral agency and get a referral to us. Um, you know, so that we can support you in your time of crisis. Yeah, because, I mean, it's it's not people who have got necessarily absolutely nothing, but what they've got is a constraint on their income for whatever reasons, mm. which means they haven't got the mm. free cash to be able to shop. And it's yeah. so it, it we all have commitments in our lives, and sometimes these things don't always stack up to when payday comes. So it, yeah. this is the sort of thing that you're helping to alleviate to make sure there is food on the table for families across Wolverhampton. 
Absolutely, and it and it covers people who you know we're delivering to people who are in employment, you know, because people might um like you say their income doesn't match um their basic outgoings. We're not talking about people just living a uh, you know a free and easy high lifestyle. We're talking about people just trying to make ends meet. Um, but they will need to be assessed. So it's you know it, we, to make sure that it is people who are genuinely in crisis. But that's what we're here for. We're here to support um our local community across the city. And it's a joy, it's a sad thing to do it, but it's a joy to do it as well and a privilege. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, you're helping those who are absolutely at the most need in our city. Well, Caroline Price of the Well Home of Wolverhampton's Food Bank Service, thank you for joining us. Thank you ever so much for having me. Time for another tune. This time we're taking a listen to Onyx and the Red Lips. It's a lucky day, no need to remember of yesterday. Today's a new day, I think it's finally my time to play. Not going away too many times, I People tell me what to say, but I for sure I do things my own way. It's a lucky day, no need to remember of yesterday.
That's Onyx and the Red Lips with their single Lucky Day. So Paul McCartney's biographer and renowned music writer Barry Mars has launched his brand new book, The People's Beatles. It features publicly collaborated, never-before-seen images of the Fab Four. He's on the line now to tell us more. Barry, hello. Hello there. So uh, where did you get this material from? It was the 50th anniversary of the Beatles' last public performance, which was on the roof of their building in, in Savile Row, uh, on uh, January the 30th. And um, I worked with uh, a photo agency called Photobox to... Uh, gathering all these photographs um, taken by fans of the Beatles rather than all the professional ones of which Mm -hmm. there are tens of thousands we wanted um, a much more intimate uh, set of pictures as a sort of well, I mean, it's not going to be the final book on the Beatles, there are hundreds of books on the Beatles, (laughs) but um, we thought we'd do something a bit different and um, so uh, on that day uh, I did a a lot of uh, radio shows and TV and everything to ask fans to send in, in photographs and this is what we got, I mean of course, many of those fans would now be in their 60s, 70s, even 80s. Mm-hmm. So um, we were really asking for their kids and grandkids to uh, look in old suitcases under the bed, you know, and up in the attic and everything and see what they could find. And we got in a, a really interesting selection of stuff. And, um, and it, it, you know, a lot of them are, are a bit out of focus or a bit blurred and, and badly composed and everything. But it, it shows the Beatles as real people rather than... Um, distant superstars like Elvis Presley or somebody you know they, they were actually real young blokes from Liverpool in their in their mid-twenties so, you know having a good time and sometimes they're a bit moody you can tell that they're a bit <laughs> annoyed at all these fans outside their front door other times they're being really helpful and you can see this great cluster of, of people that are signing autographs you know it, it, it shows a, a very real side very human side of them and um, since they've now become part of you know a british institution we thought this was a very nice project and and um it was all done actually to um for charity as well the, all the money to nordoff robbins which is the largest independent music therapy charity in britain and they, they do an awful lot of good work actually and i've, I've met even beatles fans who um, you know whose relatives have actually benefited from from them so it, it was a nice little project and um you know it, everything was good about it really you know the pictures coming in the the, the sense of goodwill and um you know, and the book, I, I think, looks pretty good. As a social history, though, it, it actually tells a, a different side of the story. Because, as you say, we've seen all of the, uh, the the stuff that just come out over the years, but this has you know, been sitting in wardrobes, uh, you know, in boxes, and uh, it has maybe been passed around uh, you know, in conversation with friends and family. But this is the first chance to see this side of the Beatles, and obviously a very different time because you had to carry a camera with you. It wasn't like you got a phone in your pocket and you could just snap shots as you go along. It was. It is very much a case of I'm going along and try and record this moment and be intending to record this moment so uh, it, it's nice that this has finally actually seen the light of day yes because photography was was quite an extensive business back then you know you had to buy the film at the chemist and then you had to get it developed and so you were very selective about what you did and, and who you shot so um, mind you i mean an enormous number of the fans waiting outside abbey road you know had cameras with them even then, I mean, it wasn't like a great storm of, uh, of, of flash bulbs going off. It was, um, you know, people were very, very cagey about it. You know, they tried to get a good angle and stuff. But sometimes, I mean, the Beatles really had to run the gauntlet there. There might be up to 100 people waiting, to, you know, for them to push their way through. So <laughs> the, the opportunity to take a decent picture wasn't necessarily there. And, and even but, then, um, I suppose at the time, it was there was less communication about where they're going to be and when. These days, it'd be all over Twitter as they're about to appear, come along and join us. So you were probably one of a select few who knew what was going on. So, again, it adds some sort of magic to these groupings, because well, you were quite special it, to have been there. 
Well, yes. I mean, I, I felt incredibly privileged. Um, but you'd be surprised how much the fans actually knew. They they had spies inside Abbey Road, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and also in the Apple Building in Savile Row. So they they often knew more about the Beatles movements than uh, than the Beatles did. You know? <laughs> I've, I've often been there when somebody will ask Ringo, you know, when's uh, when's the next session and stuff, and they say I don't know, and then somebody will pipe up, oh, it's on October the third, you know, <laughs> and yet they were usually right. Absolutely incredible. Uh, but but you're right. It, it puts a human light on on them rather than, uh, than than just being some remote sort of stars. So that that's what's so nice about the book, really, is it uh, it shows them as, as just four humans. And also, of course, since since they're you know they're not posing, it, it tends to be just individuals as well. There's some of them as as a group, obviously, when they're you know they're crowning the May Queen of some small town or something like that. But mm-hmm. Mostly, you know, it's, it's pictures of them trying to get in their own front door. <laughs> <laughs> so were there any pictures in this batch that surprised you? Was it something you thought you would never, ever see that's come up to light? Mm, some of them were quite amusing. There's one very funny one of, of two fans standing on the door handles of Paul McCartney, the, the big doors leading into his garden in, in Cavendish Avenue. And then uh, and they've, they've managed, to, they're hanging on the top and uh, looking over it, but uh, just, just parked to the side is a little push chair with obviously a two-year-old in it. Who <laughs> presumably one of the girls looking over the, is, is the child's mother, you know, um, just things like that. I mean, some just really poignant, sort of evocative images. Really, it really brings back the period because it's like time travel. You know, mm-hmm. it's wonderful. Um, photographs do that to you. And um, with the format you've put this book out in coffee table size, this is just a, a beautiful way of showing these pictures. Yes, because you can just dip in and out of it. You don't have to sit down and make special time for it. You know, as long as you don't spill the coffee on it, it's fine. <laughs> oh, was there much in colour or was most of it black and white? Uh, surprisingly, Matt was in colour, actually. Yeah, yeah. I mean, colour photography was just coming in. But obviously, yes, and particularly the early stuff, you know, it's much more in black and white. Um, and just because it costs so much more. Mm-hmm. I, I forget now when colour photography came in on a mass level, but uh, we, we have colour stuff from the very early days, but not, not very much. You've got the uh, accompanying exhibition at the Beatles Story in Liverpool as well. In Liverpool, that's right, yes. And, and that's, that's not opening just yet, but, but, but pretty soon. I guess they must have a website that you can, uh, you can contact. Mm-hmm. So you check all of that out there. But uh, how do people get hold of this book then? Well, they go to peoplesbeatles.com. And then that's without an apostrophe. So peoplesbeatles.com. And uh, you can find out more about the charity that's been supported at nordoff-robins.org.uk and check out where the funds are going to there. And so a hugely well-used charity that is going to do some great, great work with people. But the People's Beatles, uh, another way of seeing more on the Fab Four. And could this, do you think, spark more photos to come in from people around the UK and beyond? Inevitably, of course, but um, so maybe there'll be another volume at some point. I mean, this is what always happens with these kind of books. You know, people see it, and then they, they then they then they're prompted to go to their own attic and uh, or back into the back of the wardrobe and see what they can find. Well, let's enjoy these two hundred and fifty plus photos to begin with, and maybe more will be joining us very soon. But thank you, Barry Miles. Well, thank you. I absolutely love this one when we shared it with you a while ago. Let's take a listen to Erica Papillion Posey. This is my heart, my ache. <laughs>
You've 
With a bank holiday weekend upon us and 13 million journeys expected over that time, getting a bit of fresh air, which is probably the plan, is going to be quite a difficult task. To tell us more, I'm joined now by Robert Llewellyn and Dan Caesar, who are respectively presenter of Fully Charged and the MD of such. Hello, sirs. Good afternoon. So tell us a bit more about this survey to start off with, because I know there's a lot of areas in the UK that would like to see a reduction in the emissions from cars and vans and petrol and diesel are our enemies here, aren't they? They are. And I mean, I think people are now becoming far more aware of it. And, they're, and they're, the whole topic of what comes out of a tailpipe of a car has been, you know, it's been hotly disputed. We've had diesel gate. We've had a lot of scandals uh, as regards to that. And I think the general awareness that it, you know, what comes out of the back of a petrol or diesel car is actually a poisonous gas. And I think we're kind of going, oh, we need to do something about that. And also, there are now really genuinely viable alternatives that you, means you don't have to drive one of those cars. And it's, you know, it's, it's going to take a, a time to transition. You know, we've got a huge infrastructure and a huge industry behind uh, the, the cars that we all drive today. But uh, I think it's now inevitable that we can see that the ch- a change is going to come. And a really crucial part of that is uh, local area air quality and the effect it's having on all of us. But in particular, I think and this is a, a concern that many people with young children have, is just that notion, that understanding when you're outside of school and there's 40 cars with their engines ticking over. That's a really bad idea for your kids. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's not healthy for them to be breathing that in. Well, in our lifetimes, I mean, who would have thought they'd take lead out of the petrol? So, I mean, that was a big start and has made things an awful lot better. Catalytic converters have improved things and become commonplace. So the electric car, actually, it's not too much of a push, to be fair, is it? It's not. It's, it's a very, that is a very easy transition in the sense once you, you know, once people try them, that's the really big change happens when someone actually gets in one and has a drive in it, even just for an hour or so, their, their opinion changes very rapidly. And I think the, the important thing is that a lot of the sort of anxieties and myths about electric cars that are very popular are based on ignorance because people haven't driven them. So if you haven't driven one, you know, you can go, oh, well, they, you know, I can't, they won't have the range or it won't do this or it won't do that. They're just cars with electric motors which are more efficient, they're cleaner, they last longer, as we're now discovering. Now we've had them a few years. They, they run for longer. They're much cheaper to drive. And there are, you know, many, many very good reasons to use them rather than a petrol or diesel car. And when it comes to having something like an ultra-low emission zone, electric cars are really the only way forward to getting this without stopping using vehicles at all. Yes, exactly. And I mean, I think the uh, equally important are things like taxis and buses, you know, that, that they are particularly in cities. If you've got a, a, everyone's got a driving an electric car, but the bus is diesel, <laughs> you've got a problem. And I think that's where we'll see the change more rapidly. The delivery vehicles, small, you know, light delivery vehicles, vans, uh, taxis, buses, they'll all be electric way before we're all driving electric cars. I think that will happen faster. Ah, you mean like milk floats used to be before everyone got their milk from big supermarkets? Yes. Well, I mean, milk floats are great. And uh, I think it's, uh, I'm always slightly anxious about discussing milk floats because they were specifically (laughs) designed to travel very slowly. Yep. And, you know, people think, well, we don't want to drive a milk float. Well, anyone who knows anything about electric cars knows that all the fastest cars in the world are now electric. They're not 
petrol or diesel, uh, as in accelerating races, going around Nürburgring, all those records are being broken by electric cars, not, not combustion cars. And that's all due to a change in the way in which the, the gearing systems works, engines and drive, and, and, and that all happens. But one thing, I would love an electric car, but if when I look at the numbers, it, it is actually a bit scary at the moment, because if, if I was to buy a, a reasonable second-hand car, I'd be spending about 10 grand. If I was to buy a new car, I'd be spending yeah, about 20 grand, because I'm not, I'm not tosh and not rich. Uh, but then if I add up the petrol onto that, the most I can get it to over the lifetime of that car is potentially between forty and fifty thousand pounds. And an entry level electric car, where's that coming in at the moment? The, the change is going to come, I think, is the basic thing. And that's really one of the reasons we're doing this live show is to show people all the new models that are available. There's a very wide range now. So without question, you can spend one hundred and twenty thousand pounds on a really posh high end electric car. But the, the, where the bulk numbers are going to come are and the much cheaper cars, obviously, and they, those are now 25,000 or 20,000. There's some cars coming out that are sub 20,000 uh, for a brand new electric car and all the predictions. And they are so far following the, the trajectory that people are suggesting is that by about 2022, a brand new electric car will cost the same as an equivalent brand new petrol car. So that's all the good news. That's what we want to hear. It's probably also worth mentioning that actually when you fuel an electric car, you put fuel in it, you put electrons in, but it actually costs you about a fifth of the price of putting in petrol. That, I mean, yes, that is the really crucial thing is the running costs are hugely reduced. Uh, you know, you're talking about one or two pence a mile for a, a four-seater hatchback car. Uh, you know, so the, the, the actual, and, and whereas, a, you know, often we don't know how much it costs because you just buy petrol and drive the cars. Uh, an average petrol car is about 15 pence a mile. So the savings are phenomenal. I have an average petrol car because I know it costs me about 15 pence a mile because I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm probably as bad as you when it comes to looking at my motoring costs, to be fair. It's, exactly. I mean, it's a really difficult thing. And a lot of it is kind of carefully disguised. I mean, if you buy petrol in litres, but you measure your usage by miles to the gallon, it's never sort of bit of uh you could call it deception i wouldn't because i'm not a conspiracy theorist but the theorist but it is interesting that it's you have to do quite a lot of calculations to work out actually how much you're spending to drive a mile you know it's, it's not simple it's not straightforward now fully charged is the place to go to for all news on electric cars and the way in which that electricity is generated and so much more beyond with everything you look at from bikes and planes and whatever else but with fully charged live coming up on the 7th 8th and 9th of june this is going to be a massive event and what six thousand people turned up last year i I think the interest is going to be even higher after everything we've seen about pollution recently, isn't it, this year? Yeah, I think, well, it's certainly looking that way at the moment. And I mean, considering that last year we were really hoping that we'd get 2,000 people to come, when 6,000 turned up, we, we, were, we, were, well, we were slightly overwhelmed and it was absolutely amazing. And this year we're hoping for much more. It's a much bigger event this year. There's far more on display. There's test drives. There's amazing talks by really, really impressive people who know the business back to front. They know about the national grid. They know about battery technology. Some really very good communicators and academics that are coming along to give talks, which were hugely popular last time. That was one of the star attractions. Lots of stuff for kids, lots of food. And even Craig Charles will be spinning his funk and soul discs on Saturday. What more could you ask for? If you can't get your mates involved, what can you do? Yeah, I think I think three quarters of the Red Dwarf cast will be there. Chris Barry is very traditional in his vehicle tastes. <laughs> so I'm not sure. I can, I've been trying to drag him along. He might come, but I'm not sure. Work on that one, see what you can do. But it sounds like yeah. it's going to be a, a great weekend. And Dan, obviously, uh, as MD of Fully Charged, you must be really proud of what you put together on this event. 
Yeah, it's been fantastic um, uh, the way the industry's rallied around because I think before now there's not really been a showcase and we've got something like 100 electric vehicles of all shapes and sizes, right from scooters up to, well, not quite planes, but certainly trucks as well, all sorts of different cars, new ones, uh, second-hand ones, you know, converted classics. We've even got a converted DeLorean coming to the show. So when you get there and you get that feedback from the audience, there's actually a lot of people secretly out there who do want to drive electric vehicles, do want to switch to clean energy suppliers, and uh, it's amazing to see thousands of them descend upon Silverstone. So, yeah, certainly something I would be keen to do, if only to avoid having to fill up with petrol, which isn't fun at all anyway, is it? Yes, I do remember doing it. <laughs> I mean, I can be a bit, a bit smug about that because I've been driving electric cars for the last 10 years. And I, now I used to then go and buy petrol for my... I used to drive an electric car to a garage to buy petrol for my lawnmower. And I'm now very proud to say I've got a battery lawnmower. It's much better than the petrol one. And I charge it from solar panels. So it's a, a zero carbon mowing. That's the way to do it. <laughs> in fact, you're probably reducing carbon by growing the grass in the first place. I'm, so. actually, I'm actually literally, as I, mow, as I mow my grass, sucking carbon out of the atmosphere. So I'm, yeah, it's a positive benefit. But yeah, no, it is. Uh, the, the benefits of electric cars are easily outweigh the, the minor drawbacks. I mean, and one of, I mean, the major drawback is the initial purchase cost. But what is happening now is because big fleets are buying them and uh, more and more people are buying them, there, are, there is a second-hand market, and that's a, that's a really thriving market. There are now second-hand electric car dealers. There's one in Stratford-on-Avon. Not too far away. I'll have to see if I can get myself down there. More importantly, we need to get people along to Silverstone on the 7th, 8th and 9th of June. A chance to get uh, a great background to everything on there and throw some shapes to Craig Charles and his disco beats. So uh, where do people go to get tickets and find out more? So everything basically about air pollution, climate breakdown, clean energy and electric vehicles. We're going to have all the answers on site at Silverstone on the 7th, 8th, 9th of June. And you can get your tickets from fullychargedshow.co.uk and we'd love to see you there. Sounds like it's going to be absolutely fantastic. Robert Llewellyn and Dan Caesar, thank you both for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Time for one more song here on the Milk Bar, this time from Matt Finney Kane. i 
from Matt Finucane here on the Milk Bar. With a bank holiday upon us, I'm joined now by Genevieve Taylor, chef who knows a thing or two about some barbecue recipes. Hello to you. Hello there. So what tips have you got for us making sure we get the most out of barbecue weather? Oh, lots of tips. Don't try and be too ambitious. Just cook, you know, two or three or four things. Don't just chuck everything at the barbecue and then cook a bit of salad. So I think one of the mistakes we make is... um, just cooking kind of all the meats on the barbecue and then not thinking about all the side dishes. Napoleon Grill's research has shown that actually over half of us want to kind of mix up and eat a bit less meat and more more vegetables and kind of vary our barbecue a bit. So hopefully we can help with that. Yeah, because I mean, the barbecue, the, the, the main thing doesn't have mm. to be the meat. And there are some fantastic things you can do with uh, some of the vegetable proteins out there to bring yeah. a gorgeous meal with that fantastic barbecued flavour. Yeah, exactly. And not just sort of vegetable proteins, but actual vegetables themselves. You know, one of my favourite things to cook on a, on a barbecue is carrots, you know, mm. with, with kind of lots of spices and then finish them off with herbs and then... And, and some ricotta cheese and all sorts of good stuff. And, um, you know, I've, I've written a book called Chard, um, which is out on the 30th of May, which is full of kind of vegetable ideas. And it's not just aimed for vegetarians, it's for kind of carnivals who might want to mix up their grilling a little bit. Oven roast carrots uh, are, are very much on vogue at the moment anyway, aren't they? So bringing the barbecue to these things too, that's going to be a, a great flavour sensation. And with the right mix of spices, it's going to be absolutely awesome. So yes. uh, I mean, what else came out of this research? People cook too much on the barbecue, so mm. there's quite a lot of wastage with our barbecue. And again, I think that goes back to the fact that people just sort of chuck all the meat on the barbecue, the sausages and the burgers and the chops and the steak. And, you know, nobody wants to eat that much protein in one meal so 
I would try and encourage people to think of the barbecue as, as just as they would their indoor oven or, or kind of hob. You know, you're cooking one meal there. You're not trying to cook kind of six different meals and get everybody to eat it all at once. So you <laughs> can have one kind of main protein element, two, three, maybe four max kind of side dishes. And don't feel like you need to offer kind of endless choice for everything because people won't eat everything. They will only eat, you know, until they're full and then you get loads and loads of wastage. But, you know, also if you're cooking more vegetables on your barbecue, grilled vegetables have got such good leftover potential, you know, much, much more than a kind of cold sausage. You know, you can turn peppers and and, and courgettes and all those good things into kind of really nice salads for the next day or mix Mm -hmm. them with couscous, take them to work, you know, lots of lots of kind of leftover potential for kind of grilled veg. Yeah, and there's there's no doubts about how well cooked it was in the first place, because if a vegetable's a little bit undercooked, it's not the end of the world. No, exactly, exactly, yeah. And it's it's often a different member of the family cooking on the barbecue to the one who's doing the bulk of the rest of the cooking. It, uh, <laughs> now, we we know where I'm going with this, but yeah, I know where you're going. It, with this. It's time for the, <laughs> the the fellas to maybe surprise everyone a little bit. Wouldn't it be great if they picked up a copy of your cookbook, got some fantastic ideas, and then shocked everybody with the great stuff they came up with? Oh, well, that would be great wouldn't it that would be great and also let let the women have a go at, at barbecuing it's not just man's <laughs> domain women like playing around with fire just as much as men do and it is great to experiment <laughs> with different flavors when we're doing this too and yeah. I, I think it, it does sound rather exciting and you, if there are leftovers and the, the pets end up with something a bit different they're going to be pleasantly surprised too i'm going to guess <laughs> yeah so, exactly. So, I mean, with this survey, obviously, it, it does yeah. show us the other side of things, and uh, particularly with the increase in vegetarian and vegan cooking. Mm. And uh, this is something which, again, it, it falls naturally with the barbecue, as you say. Uh, mm. So, uh, what in your book is there that really stands out for you as your favourite recipe along those lines? Well, the carrots I just talked about, that is one of my very favourite things to do. Mm. Um, aubergines are, are, are a really brilliant uh, veg for the barbecue, and they, they're very good at they're like sponges at soaking up all different flavours, so you can get <laughs> lots of spices in there with them and garlic and, and, and so on, and they really sort of soak up all those flavours, so that they're brilliant on the barbecue. But you've got to make sure you cook them for long enough because there's not much worse in edible terms than a kind of undercooked aubergine so um and this goes for a lot of grilling actually don't cook things over such a high heat give yourself some space so maybe put the charcoal on one side and have a kind of blank area of the barbecue where you can move things to so it can cook a bit more gently mm-hmm. and um, exactly the same for kind of gas barbecues you know just don't light all the burners give yourself some wriggle room with, with a cooler area as well yeah where you've got control use it and if you need the control create it and, and maybe yeah. even if it's donut shaped so you've got the area in the middle with exactly. no coals under it and you've yeah, got heat coming from all sides you're giving yourself control of the fire rather than the fire being in charge and you just sort of struggling to keep on top of everything. You, you're kind of giving yourself back the control there. So get this book on pre-order, I think, is the moral of this story. <laughs> yeah, and also if you go to napoleon.com, there's lots and lots of recipe videos that I've created, a really kind of easy, achievable barbecue recipes that everybody can try. You could be transforming gardens across the country with this. Well, I do hope so. I expect nothing less, to be fair, but there we go. <laughs> so we've got napoleon.com for the recipes and uh, the videos on there. Where can we find out more on the book? 
And the book is called Chard. You can buy it online at all the usual suspects and it's, it will be on general release in bookshops um, from the 30th of May. So get your hands on that one. And it, it's cool to stand in the garden with a cookbook and being on paper as well, you can see it in the sunlight unlike your tablet when you're trying to read recipes on there. So it'll work wonders. It will work wonders. <laughs> and if people have got barbecue questions, feel free to find me. I'm on social media and you can find me and ask me all your questions. That would be lovely. So track you down on Twitter or Facebook and Genevieve Taylor is the name you're looking for there to get all exactly. those handy hints yeah i should be stood next to a barbecue texting you i think but we'll see how it works out <laughs> genevieve thank you for joining us thank you so much that's a lot for this week thank you so much for joining us back with episode 519 next week i'll see you then for half an hour goodbye from the mill bar 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 yeah. Goodbye from the mill by yeah.